Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. They want to know who had taught him these things. You see, because only the approved rabbinical school could teach things like this. And here he is turning their traditions upside down. That's why he went off on them, called snakes and hypocrites. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So they came out and said, are you the Messiah? No. Well, are you the prophet Elijah? No. Well, are you somebody great? It's, you know, God is called to do all these things. Who are you? Where'd you get your authority from? And his reply was, God. But I'm not the one that you should be looking for. Because there's one among you right now. He's here. He is among you right now. You don't even know who he is. But it is he that I'm serving. Even though I myself am not even worthy to untie his shoelaces, I still serve him. But I don't know who it is. But God knows he's here. In order to see this better, let's look now at the life of Jesus for just a minute. Actually, we'll be focusing a lot on it, but this is the main topic of the teaching today. Glory to God. Everything else is just really laying the groundwork for what I'm going to be sharing with you for the rest of this teaching. Amen. So, over to save some time. Now, I don't need, I'm praying that I'm going to be able to finish this teaching today. But if not, we'll continue it next time. I mean, there is some rich material. And you should be taking this opportunity to get out a notepad and paper and take some notes because we're going to go over some things that a lot of Christians have not heard before. But it's in the Bible. All right? Now, to save time, I just want to ask you, what was the first real public teaching of Jesus? It wasn't when he was in the synagogue, you know, reading from Isaiah, uh, you know, the, where it says he found the book of Isaiah and read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now, that was a reading. I'm talking about a public teaching. You see it in Matthew chapter 5. We call it the Sermon on the Mount or Mountain. It really was the side of a hill. Now, why is that so important? Because there were so many people that wanted to hear what he had to say. He had to get up above them because he couldn't stay level because the people in the back would be able to hear. So he's like, you stay right here. Let me go up on this hill here a little bit. And the Sermon on the Mount is what we call the sermon that he taught. Amen. Now, There were a lot of people there. 
I mean, think about it. If he had to go up on the side of a mountain and the, the crowd is down below, there had to be at least a couple thousand people there. Amen? That's a lot of people, especially in that day and time. I mean, there might have been four or 5,000 people in Jerusalem, even 10,000, and 20 to 25% of the population is coming out to hear Jesus teach. That's a lot of people. It's drawn a lot of attention. Why did everybody want to hear him teach? Well, of course, they you know, wanted miracles. They wanted to see miracles. They had heard about miracles. But that was really just to confirm what he was teaching. I want to look very closely at how Jesus arrived at that point. The point where the vast majority of the people in the area would come out to desert places just to hear him teach. Even if it meant skipping meals and going without and walking long distances, they didn't care. I mean, if he got in a boat, went to the other side of the lake, they took off running around the other side of the lake to meet him there. They wanted to hear what he had to say. Why? Why? Well, now you could, you know, put this into the theological hermeneutical perspective it is the anointing was drawing people to him and they knew that he was somebody special and that it was the holy spirit of the most high god that was drawing the people to him these people weren't born again they didn't know about the holy spirit I'm not saying that it's not completely accurate, but that, for the vast majority, is not why they follow Jesus. These people were brought up in strict Jewish culture. You followed the teachings of the rabbis and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and you did what they said. You didn't follow some crazy guy out into the middle of the wilderness. So why did Jesus draw all these people. That's what we're going to look at. In order to look at that, we need to look at the upbringing of Jesus for just a minute. Well, Brother Bob, nobody knows about the childhood of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say anything about that. Well, let's just look at the childhood of the average Jewish boy. Then we can get a glimpse of what Jesus was doing and why. Remember, no miracles were accounted to him until the wedding at Cana. And he'd already called his disciples to follow him at that point in time. Why did they follow him? Who was he? How did he get their attention? So we're going to look at that calling to the disciples in a minute. Amen. Uh, Man, I got a lot to go over today. Praise God. But let's talk about the calling of the disciples. You see it in Matthew chapter 4. We'll turn over there. Matthew 4, verse, where are we at here? Verse 17 through 22. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers, or they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. They immediately left their ship and their father and followed him. Now, uh, why? Why did they follow him? These were fishermen, successful fishermen. Amen? They had their own businesses. They had their own families. They even had their own boats. And these grown men left it all. They left everything behind. Business, family, even their boats. Just because Jesus said, follow me. I mean, think about poor Zebedee. He lost two of his most influential employees with no notice. He didn't get two weeks' notice they were leaving. They just said, see you, Dad, and they left. Why? Just because Jesus called out, follow me. What would cause grown men to give up everything they've worked for in life to follow some guy who just walks up and says, follow me? I mean, some people may not have that great of a business. Okay, I can understand that. They may not even have that great of a marriage. Okay, I can understand that. But to give up your boat? I mean, come on. That's got to be serious. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you know, having lived down in the South, there are some guys, you know, they, they <laughs> there's one joke I've seen where something along the lines of a bumper sticker, it said, uh, wanted, good wife, you know, can cook, take care of things, likes to fish, send picture of your boat. <laughs> you know, I mean, down south, the boat, if you own your own boat, I mean, you'd, you'd sleep in the boat and give up the house if you had to, amen? And here, these guys, not only do they have their own businesses, they have their own boats, and they gave up the boats. So let's look at this, amen? And as we do, I believe you're going to get a glimpse of the type of life Jesus was probably brought up in. Amen? Now, every Hebrew, Hebrew boy wanted to grow up to be a rabbi. That was a, you know, was, if you think about the number of Hebrew boys, tens of thousands of them, let's say, in Israel at that time. They all wanted to grow up and be a rabbi. Kind of like what we would defer to NFL players today. You have all these, you know, peewee football leagues in every town and community. I mean, tens of thousands of young children, five, six, seven years old, playing in these peewee leagues. And they all have a dream one day of making it to the NFL. But in reality... If you take you know, a million children, only maybe a few hundred make it to the NFL in any given year, working their way up that ladder. I mean, they only take the best of the best of the best. And it was the same day in Jesus' day with the rabbi school. Every Jewish boy wanted to be a rabbi when he grew up. And in order to facilitate that, there had to be, you know, just like they have in football, 
here in America, uh, some cuts that had to be made. I mean, you start off in Pee Wee League, and then you make it into middle school, and you try out for the middle school football team. And, you know, if you got, we'll just say, 25 slots and 60 kids come out and try out, you've got to cut some of the kids to get your roster down. Growing up, you know, enjoying sports in school, it was always a nervousness when the cut selections were going to be posted because they're going to post the names of those that were selected. And these guys are all happy and jubilant, but if your name wasn't on that list, basically they're telling you, and the coaches, before they post the list, would say, now, if your name's not on this list, it's not because you don't know how to play. It was tough. We had to choose only the very best. You're good. You just weren't good enough. You can come back and try again next year, uh, but for this year, go home. And if your name wasn't on that list, you were heartbroken. And it's the same thing, even in the NFL today. Even though you may be a top-notch college football player, some of them, even though you know they get a shot at trying out, get cut. They just don't have what it takes. Even though they may have been excellent football players in high school and college, they just didn't have what it took during the tryouts for the pro team. And they're told, you know, sorry, go home and start a new career. And it's the same thing about the Jewish boys wanting to be rabbis. So they had certain criteria. If you want to be a rabbi, here's the first tryout. And it occurred at age six. That's right, age six. What was the tryout? They had to have memorized, by age six, the entire book of Leviticus, word for word. Now, think about how many six-year-olds, think about how many of adults would be cut from the team at that point in time. Amen? I mean, I can raise my hand. I haven't memorized the book of Leviticus. I'd be cut. But we got a six-year-old making the grade where most adults can't. Now, in this day and time, most six-year-olds could not read or write. So how did they memorize the book of Leviticus? Through the oral tradition taught to them by their father, who was taught by his father, who is taught by his father, who is taught by his father. That's how they memorized the entire book of Leviticus, by listening to it and reciting it. So at age six, you're brought in to the rabbi orientation day for the school. And they said, okay, tell us the book of Leviticus. And these rabbis would sit there and listen. And as long as you said every single word, you got in. If you missed a word, it's like, sorry, you didn't make the cut. Uh, you did a good job, but you're not going to rabbi school. You can go home and work with the family. 
So if you passed, you got to go to elementary school. It's called Bet Safar. And it's basically called the School of the Book. And you're there from age 6 to age 12. During this school time, during those six years, you had to memorize the entire Torah in order to graduate by age 12. The first five books of the Bible. You had to memorize word for word the first five entire books of the Bible, which was the Torah. And your graduation test, your rabbis that were teaching you would sit up there and listen for you to tell them word for word the first Five books of the Bible. Now, at that point in time, the second cut was made. If you had memorized it word for word, the first five books, you were then set aside into another area, which we'll get into in a second, because you could go to the next level of teaching, because you'd proven you're smart enough to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Amen? The test to go to the next school, which lasted from age 12 to age 30, which was really the rabbi school. This is where you're going to learn how to be a rabbi, was beginning at age 12. From age 12 to age 30, In order to go into that area, you had to be selected by a rabbi who just graduated rabbi school because they're now going to come and look for their disciples. They're looking for their pupils that they can teach. And the selection was based, okay, you graduated from elementary school, age 12. Now to be considered... For selection, you had to pass a test about the first five books of the Bible. Now, wait a minute. You just finished, a couple days ago, reciting word for word the first five books of the Bible. What kind of test could they give you to go to the next level if you're being tested on the first five books of the Bible? Not word for word memorization. At this level, to go to this level of training, from age 12, I'm sorry, yeah, from age 12 to age 30, in order to move into the auditorium, we'll say, in order to be selected by a new graduating uh, rabbi at age 30, in order to be put into that group, we would call it the, the graft the draft group, you know, if, if you're in college and you want to be eligible for the draft, you have to declare yourself as eligible for the draft, even if that means giving up college. And this is the same thing. In order to get into that select group, to be considered for the next level, you're going to be tested on the first five books of the Bible. Not memorizing them, but your ability to ask questions of others concerning the five books of the Bible 
and your ability to keep the conversation going by answering questions. So your ability to ask and answer and discuss the first questions about the first five books of the Bible is how it was determined if you were now qualified to go into high school and college. If all you did was memorize the books, but you weren't able to carry on a good conversation, then it was a cut. Sorry. You did really well, but you just don't have what it takes to move to the next level. Go home, help the family out in their business, learn a trade, and enjoy life. You were cut. And this was heartbreaking. These boys had studied up to age 12, and now they were not able to go to the next level. They felt ashamed, just like children do nowadays when they don't make the team. And they're sent home. The vast majority of boys did not make that cut. Amen? The ability to ask questions based on the Torah in order to keep the conversation about God going is what determined if you had the making of a good rabbi. Now, think about Jesus at age 12. When his parents came to Jerusalem, did the sacrifices for the the festival, and then they left. They traveled a day's journey. They thought he was with their family somewhere in the crowd. Realized he wasn't. They turned around came back. They found him the third day in the temple. What does the Bible say? Everyone was amazed at his ability to ask questions and the answers he provided. Now, does that verse make sense? Amen. His ability to ask and answer questions amazed the leadership in the temple. Now, where did he learn to do that? Well, he's God. He's the Messiah. Of course he would be able to do that. No, he gave up all, the Bible says, of his attributes. He had to learn it from somewhere. We don't have any record of him going to school. Now, I'm going to give you second chapter of the book of Bob. I mean, this is my own opinion. But what happened when Jesus was two years old? That's when the Magi, the wise men, came from the east and they gave his parents gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It is estimated that in today's dollars, it's something like $2 million of gifts. And then they left for Egypt because of the threat where... Herod was going to kill all the children two years and under to try and eliminate any competition for his throne. God supernaturally provided the family enough money to take care of them for the rest of their life and to provide private tutoring for Jesus. I really believe that. That he had private tutors. He was homeschooled with private tutors and the money that the Magi gave is what funded it. 
And at age 12, he had to be quizzed by the temple elders to see if he had what it took to go into rabbi school. If he had what it took in their eyes to be considered qualified to study to be a rabbi. And that's why it says they were amazed at his ability to ask and answer questions. And then we don't hear anything else about Jesus until age 30, which just happened to coincide with graduation from rabbi school. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, we already said how they determined who graduated from middle school to high school to college. When that happened, when you were accepted into the next level, you were baptized. Baptism took place all over Jerusalem. We already established that you know it would happen at a change of life event like marriage or something like that. It also happened as you graduated and was accepted into rabbi school. And then when you graduated from rabbi school, you had to be baptized again. Any type of social status changed required baptism. I said getting engaged, uh, you're representing that you were unclean, but now you're clean. Uh, that's where we get our baptism from. That's what it represents, that you were a sinner, but you're not anymore. Jesus paid for your sins as you rise up out of that water. It's new life. When you go from not being a rabbi to being a rabbi, and, and back in Jesus' day at age three, you were also baptized. Amen? Think about the Bible. At age 30, Jesus would have just finished his private training for rabbi, to be considered a rabbi. And he goes out into the middle of the desert to be baptized. That's in Matthew chapter 3. Uh, it's in Matthew 3. I could read down the whole thing. But verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan. Not to John to be baptized of him, but John forbid him, saying, I need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me? And Jesus answering said, Permit it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. So he permitted to be baptized. And when Jesus, when he was baptized, came up straight away out of the water, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved son in whom I was well or I am well pleased. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God.